Hello and welcome to Mormon Stories Podcast. My name is John DeLynn. I'm very excited to have you with us again today for yet another edition of Mormon Stories. As always, it's been a few weeks and I uh, spend each day wishing that I had spent more time doing more podcasts, but alas, life happens. I've been traveling too much and here we are. But as a sweet reward for your patience and endurance in sticking with us, we have a very, very special guest today um, to share with you. Uh, the the guest that we have today, his name is Buckley Jepson. And uh, those of you who keep really current in the news, and specifically in Mormon news, uh, the name may ring a bell because over the past day or two, uh, newspaper articles about Buckley have appeared literally in, in probably 15 to 20 uh, newspapers worldwide, and it may be more, and it's definitely growing. Uh, but for those of you who aren't familiar with the story, let me just go ahead and read the um, a bit from the Associated Press article. Um, basically says uh, that the headline, the, the one that I first saw on March 15th, the headline said, Mormon in legal gay marriage faces cutoff. And it begins by saying, a gay man who is, life, who is a lifetime member of the Mormon church could be facing disciplinary action and excommunication after legally marrying his partner in Canada. Buckley Jepson, 57, said he'd been informed verbally by a senior church leader that his life is incompatible with the doctrine of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and that a disciplinary council will address the matter. Jepson of Washington, D.C. married Mike Kessler in Toronto on August 27, 2004. It is believed that if Jepson is excommunicated, it would be the first time a Mormon in a legal same-sex marriage was punished by the church, said Olin Thomas, executive director of Affirmation, an advocacy and education group for gay Mormons. And finally, Jepson said that over the past five months, Nolan Archibald, the senior leader or president of a group of Mormon congregations in the Washington area, I believe that's his stake president, has encouraged Jepson to resign his church membership which would avoid disciplinary action. Jepson is unwilling to do that. And he's quoted in the article as saying, it's not going to be my choice to deny my heritage and my faith. So uh, Buckley Jepson, thank you so much for coming on Mormon Stories. It's an honor to have you. And it's an honor to be on. Uh, I imagine the past couple of days have been a little bit crazy for you, huh? Uh, yeah, they have been a little bit crazy, especially today since the newspapers came out this morning. It was online yesterday uh, by noon or so, uh, and the calls started coming in. But uh, today, especially after it after it's hit several of the presses or uh, some of the newspapers, especially in Utah, uh, it's generated quite a bit of interest. And and has this hit your local papers yet there in the D.C. area? Uh, it is uh, the Washington Post um, has had it online, but uh, I it was not in this morning's paper. The Washington Post. Excellent. Well, well, again, thank you for coming on, and uh, I appreciate you uh, coming on uh, so late in the evening. There, I believe it's eleven ten your time. Is that right? And we're just getting started. Right, we're just getting started. So thanks to you and Mike, uh, your husband, for bearing with me in the time zones here. So, 
you, you've listened to Mormon stories, at least a few episodes I know. And for, for me, the most important part of Mormon stories isn't so much necessarily having an agenda or trying to uh, make lots of points or, or prove positions. But, the, you know, the central purpose of this podcast is simply to let people tell their stories. And in that light... Um, even though uh, there's a lot to talk about with the story, if you don't mind, I'd like to begin by just talking about uh, you and your story leading up to this moment before we actually talk about the moment. How how does that grab you? Sure. Um, of course, uh, as you said, I'm 57, so I've got a lot of years, but I'll spare you most of it. Uh, I was born in the church. Uh, my family on both sides have been members for generations. One side emigrated from England, the other side emigrated from Scandinavia. And uh, so I come from a long line of, of genetic Mormons, all of whom are, uh, are all active in the church. I was raised in the church and born in Utah. I grew up uh, in my teenage years and early adulthood were all in California. And that's where I went to college and and got married and um, then ended up moving to Utah for a few years, for about 15 years, I guess, before coming to Washington, D.C. So I've been uh, a lifelong Mormon and, and held a lot of callings in the church, just like uh, everybody else who's active and, and works hard. Uh, so that's the, the basic beginnings of, of how it all how it all began. Right. Uh, I didn't know when I first got married uh, that I was gay. I didn't even. I, I'm. I guess I'm of that age where it didn't even occur to me that such a thing was uh, an option, or even that it was um, that that it was a life. Uh, the only gay person I knew in high school was this strange young man who wore makeup and. Uh, I thought that was very peculiar, and, and I would never have identified or, or even sympathized with him, or people like him. So it it really didn't um, didn't occur to me. Uh, thinking back now, years later, decades of uh, looking back, it um, I guess I there were probably the signs, but I didn't know what what it was. Uh, so. Um, what, what were some of those signs? Well, uh, when I was a youth, I realized that I uh, seemed to be attracted to men, but I was dating women, and um, not not sexually attracted, just you know, emo emotionally attracted, uh, or I admired them, uh, and um, and that was really about all. Uh, and so, were you attracted so, to women as well? Yeah, but in a different way, and uh, and I didn't really understand what that difference was uh, at the time, and I just assumed, especially being youth growing up in the church, uh, any feelings you have for anybody are, are sort of, uh, you don't talk about them much, and uh, so I didn't, so I, I just assumed uh, the older I got that everybody has these trials and feelings they have to go through and work through and that if I worked hard enough and and excelled and studied and prayed and fasted and did all those things that uh, 
I would get over it just like everybody else who's around me must have gone through it and got over it. Sure. Let me ask you, uh, you know, one one of the things, I, I had an aha moment when I lived in Chicago after I'd been married a few years, uh, where I, I at the time, uh, George Bush Sr. was running against Bill Clinton and the gay issue had come up in one of the campaigns. And, and I remember being in an office one time and debating with people about uh, gay marriage and gay issues and and basically coming down in your traditional hardcore Republican stance uh, dealing with gay issues at the time. And uh, and the, the other people in the room were clearly shocked by how outspokenly conservative I was being. And, and after sensing their concern, I said, you know, I, I do hold these strong posi- p- positions, but I do have to admit... You know, I've never, I've never actually known a gay person before, and one of the guys in the office turned to me and he said, "Well, yes, you have actually," and that was like a watershed event for me in my life because, for many Mormons, um, you know, they they've never really talked to a, a, a gay person before or made friends with them, and so I'm trying to put myself in their their shoes now, and they're thinking, you know, how is it that he can just sort of one day, uh realize that he's gay um how can it be that he has sort of a normal uh, adolescence and 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 a lot of stereotypes are often in the minds of of mormons as to what leads uh, to someone being gay things like abuse things like a domineering mother so if you were to if you were to sort of address those stereotypes um as to whether or not any of them were relevant in your life. Talk about that for a minute, uh, growing up or even... Uh, and um, and this, again, looking back in hindsight, I tried to find all those things uh, as I studied and tried to learn about it as I started started coming to grips with it. And, um, and I thought, well, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it was something about growing up. And I didn't have a... Uh, you know, a terribly domineering mother. I mean, she's strong, but she's uh, no stronger than any other LDS woman. A really sighty president, you know, stay out of the way uh, kind of person. My father was was um, also very strong, very uh, a loving, really good guy, and I admired him greatly. I played church softball and basketball and did all those things um, growing up. Uh, uh, excelled in school. Um, you know, was student body uh, officer, all those things in high school. I went to early morning seminary, did did all of that, and I I couldn't find uh, anything that seemed to fit that stereotype at all. Uh, later years, I learned that of the ten biological uh, cousins, boy cousins on on my mother's side, three of us uh, are gay, which is a pretty high percentage, all yeah. LDS. Right, um, but uh, as far as growing up, I, I um, no, no, there was nothing that I could pinpoint uh, that uh, that would have brought that on. I, it certainly wasn't. I had no abuse in my life, uh, you know, physical abuse, no sexual abuse, none of that. Um, I grew up in a totally normal, really nice, uh, uh, conservative house household. And I was a school teacher. My mother stayed at home, uh, and uh, I'm the oldest of five siblings. Right. 
And, and a lot of people aren't aware of the Kinsey scale. Um, uh, I guess I'd like to ask you, you know, in, in your in your courtships of young ladies, were you attracted to young women in a, in a normal sense? And then if you want to talk about the Kinsey scale, if you know about it, and where you think you might fit on that looking back or even now, uh, talk about right. that for just a second. Uh, I, I don't know how how valid that that is, um, you know, 50 years or so later. But um, looking back in hindsight, I it I assumed and it seemed to me that my reactions and the way I treated and interacted uh, with girls as a teen was the same as anybody else, and uh, so it didn't didn't strike me as being odd at all. Any, any different than any others. Uh, when I did sense some feelings uh, also for guys, it was always, uh, again, you know, well, it's the temptation. Um, just the same way, you know, you keep your, you're always taught keep your hands off girls, keep your hands off girls. It was the same sort of thing, you know, there are all the prohibitions and everything, and that gets all jumbled in your mind anyway, I suppose. Sure. But, um, uh, no, I I thought at the time that it was a it was perfectly normal uh, normal relationships, uh, and in the church where you're chased as a young adult, um, and you're trained to be and trained uh, what kinds of thoughts you're supposed to have and not supposed to have, uh, then I seemed to fit in just fine growing up, and. Uh, went on my mission and did all those things um, uh, really without uh, a serious clue. And and you you did say earlier that you, you looking back, your attraction for women was probably a little bit different um, than than the average boy. What do you mean by yeah, that? Yeah, looking back, it probably was. I just didn't recognize it at the time. How, how do you see it as different? It was uh, different uh, but because, uh, because of how I feel now. I... I think it comes through being, at least in my case, it came through being older and more mature, having a greater life experience, uh, having other uh, role models, and, and being exposed to more um, uh, to, to more things in the world, and uh, coming to um, uh, coming to understand myself better over the years. Sure. As far as the Kinsey scale, I. I don't know where I would have been back then, <laughs> uh, but I I think um, if I were to qualify myself now, I would say I have a lot of really great friends who are women, but uh, and emotional attractions to them certainly, uh, but as far as physical attractions, it's definitely men. Okay. So, talk to us if you don't mind. Share with us, um, you know, getting getting married. And take us through the parallel uh, course of you, um, I, I don't want to say rising in church leadership, but you, you've served in bishoprics. Did, did, I, did, I, did you tell me earlier that you had been uh, on a stake high council? No, no, just there okay. in bishoprics and <laughs> branch president and that sort of thing. So yeah. take us through the parallel track of um, your advancement in, in, in the church with your discovery um, about your orientation and and tell us about how it was that this unfolded in your life uh, the discovery okay uh, yes I was married um, in the temple uh, to a wonderful talented woman who uh, I was very impressed with we are great friends 
uh, we became really really good friends first and it developed from there and and that's how I uh, thought it would uh, should be I admired her talent and uh, her independence and her strength and uh, all those things that uh, I would have looked for in a mate and so um, so I was I was definitely attracted I uh, to her as you know as a friend and that friendship grew and um, marriage seemed like the next logical step to me at that point. Where'd you meet? Uh, we met in college uh, at an institute in California. Okay. We were both to the same uh, same university and uh, that's where we met. Uh, turned out she was also in my stake and uh, and we had met before, but uh, just sort of she was in different wards, and so we didn't really know each other uh, until that point. And we then uh, started dating and uh, were engaged within several weeks and uh, married six months later. So I'd been home from my mission for about nine months before, at the time we got married. And I was still in school and continued uh, in school and uh, got uh, got my degree, continued to graduate school, working part-time, and got a dissertation. And then from there, um, went on to, to teach at, uh, at Weber State University. I got, that's how I ended up in Utah. And so all this time... Um, Everything was going uh, uh, pretty well, as far as I could tell. Um, but enough time had gone. I'd been married then, by then about five years, I guess. And um, uh, and I kind of started to sense that things weren't quite um, the same as everybody else, as all the couples. I couldn't... Uh, I couldn't say, well, I could hear people say, oh, she walks in the room and, and everything lights up and and I'm you know immediately in love and, and all that. And I thought, well, you know, I'm just not that kind of guy. Uh, so uh, I'm just not uh, a romantic, I suppose. And so um, it, it didn't bother me. Uh, I didn't really think about it. And I w started working right away, uh, living in Ogden, working in in the wards and in the Elder School and Presidency, and then working in in the stake and some uh, working doing some teaching in, in service training, and uh, continued uh, all the way up through into uh, uh, I taught gospel doctrine for many years taught uh, Elders Quorum for many years uh, while we lived in Utah for about 15 years. I uh, became a high priest and um, somewhere along in there I I made the realization that uh, that things were not right. Uh, probably had been married oh, maybe 10-12 oh, years or so by then and I I settled down and said I've got I've got to figure this out, and uh, I did a lot of a lot of studying. I did all the things we're supposed to do: studying, praying, uh, fasting about it, um, talking to people, getting counseling, um, 
and trying to get to the bottom of uh, why I was feeling the way I was. I started to become depressed. And uh, and finally, I, I, I just... Um, Eventually, I, I just came to the realization, you know, if you face it and if you're honest about it, um, this is what you got to face. And so that's where I was. So so were you, there, there are two elements that come to mind. One is that maybe you, you weren't feeling the attraction for your wife that you thought you, you should. And the right. second track would be that you found yourself being attracted to other men. Were, were both of those happening? And if you can talk a little bit about it without, yeah, they were. It was both going on, but I, um, I was never attracted to a a particular man or anything. Just uh, in general, uh, in general sense, I would I would see a man that I admired or that uh, was attractive, and um, and then I start realizing, you know, everybody doesn't do this. <laughs> all the guys out there aren't uh, uh, looking at all the guys too. And, but I had, I, I took the vows that I'd made very seriously. Uh, this was not her fault. This was my cross to bear, and I was going to bear it. And in, in the way that we as Mormons bear our crosses, which is work harder, fast harder, you know, um, do your home teaching earlier, um, study harder, do, uh, do all those things, uh, spend more hours on the steak farm, uh, volunteer more, give and give and give, and and uh, and you'll get over it. Uh, and I just did all those things and got more tired and more depressed and didn't get over it. And did did you was there ever a sense that your wife might be suspicious or was concerned or felt like there something wasn't quite right before you were ever ever, ever able to talk to her about it? Um, I didn't sense it. Um, we had been trying to have children for a number of years, and she uh, she had a medical problem, was not able to for for quite a while. Eventually, after we'd been married twelve years, uh, we uh, had a daughter, and realized that uh, since that was so difficult on her, that it would be our only one. So I put my attention pretty much all of it into uh in, into caring for her and uh and tried to tried to divert my attention. I was still able to be a husband, you know, I was still able to do the things a husband needs to do. I was able to uh you know, be physically fulfilling. Um so I was able to go through the motions of it all uh and do uh do the very best i could it just over time that um that pull that sort of dissonance um just can't last forever it just it lasts as long as i as i could make it last i did go to bishops and talk to them about it eventually before i talked to her um they were sort of puzzled and and told me the same things: pray harder, study harder. Uh, and uh, was this before you had served in bishoprics? Yes. Okay. And I uh, had uh, seen counselors uh, who shake, you know, sort of scratch their heads and said, 
you know, we don't. If if you're coming to get cured, you know, forget that because uh, that doesn't work. But uh, we can work with you to uh, understand and accept it and learn how to deal with it in a healthy way. Was this LDS social services or secular uh, counselors? Was and they were more baffled than anything, um, and they weren't any help. They were they were really confused, huh. um, and so uh, uh, so I gave up there. And uh, we continued on that way uh, for a, a number of years, and and I just kept it, you know, kept it to myself. And then um, uh, eventually, uh, we'd been married about twenty years, and moved to um, uh, to Washington D.C. Uh, for, for employment. And um, you know, it was pulling harder and harder, and it got more and more difficult. But then I would be called to you know to serve in something, and I would immerse myself in it in my calling, and I could push things out of out of my head, um, and, and I was called a new bishopric, and uh, there was some uh, really serious problems in the ward that I, that needed my attention, uh, and the bishop was not around to deal with it. He became ill, and I was really acting bishop for. Uh, for many months, uh, and so I um, I was able to keep all of that uh, uh, in check uh, and just kind of try and put it out of my mind uh, for all those years. Uh, but down inside, it was really it was really getting to me, and um, because there was the there was the uh, letter of the law. You know, you shall not sin, and then there's the spirit of the law. You shall not lust, and those uh, uh, those were certainly um, pulling me from different directions. And also, thou shalt not lie, huh? Yeah, and thou shalt not lie. And I could truthfully uh, talk to my bishop and say that I had not transgressed or anything, but I couldn't truthfully say that I, uh, uh, you know, that I didn't feel. Uh, these things, and so I never did lie about it. I I always told them about it, and um, and luckily, because I guess of where I live, uh, that and I was honest about it, that uh, I was uh, accepted and and continued to continue to work in the church. And your church leaders knew before your wife did. Yes. Huh. Yeah, and. Uh, eventually, um, it just got to be uh, it just got to be too much, and uh, I had been um, the the bishopric had changed, and uh, so uh, I was um, teaching a class at the time, and uh, I uh, again was seeing seeing a counselor. I was uh, experiencing incredible depression, and she was doing everything she possibly could to help me. Uh, adjust in a way that was within my framework. To her credit, she didn't try and and make me a non-Mormon or anything. She understood, uh, and she tried to work really hard with me to to help me find a place of peace uh, within the framework of the church. But uh, I eventually realized that that just couldn't happen. Uh, that I I I couldn't be. I couldn't be happy uh, completely, and that I was 
real I was being deceptive um, to those around me and to my family and uh, it was going to blow up on me eventually and uh, so I had to uh, I had to eventually uh, talk to my wife about it were you ever counseled by your leaders to not tell your wife no 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 one ever said that because that's uh, a, there, there there are stories I've heard that it was the policy for many years uh, when a, when a young man felt this orientation and was engaged to be married, but he felt this conflict, he'd, he'd go to the bishop. And apparently, I, I've heard that the policy was, get married, that will fix this, and do not tell your wife. Have, have yes, you heard I, that? I've heard that many times, and uh, I think especially people who were maybe just a bit younger than me, uh, they got that a lot. That isn't the case anymore. Um, I was reading, in fact, earlier today, a, a speech from 1996 for uh, Elder Oaks, and and he was, was uh, specifically saying we we do not uh, encourage uh, people with homosexual feelings to uh, to get married because that doesn't that doesn't fix the problem. So they they uh, the church has has certainly come a long way on that, and I think part. They just, I mean, it just destroyed so many families uh, and so many people that it um, it was not a viable way to do it. Right. They've the church tried a lot of things, and and to, to their credit, I think they they thought they were doing the right thing, uh, but a, a lot of a lot of it was uh, ultimately destructive. Um, you know, things like aversion therapies and those kinds of things. That, Tell the listeners a little bit more about that. Uh, at BYU, especially during the uh, the late 60s, the early 70s, uh, I don't know how long after that, but I had a couple of students that I was teaching at Weber who had been at BYU and uh, in, in the mid, mid and late 70s, and uh, they had been subjected to all manner of, uh, of therapies on campus trying to straighten them out. Um, a couple of them had confided to me about some of the details, things like, you know, wiring their genitals to electrodes and then showing them pornography. And uh, if they reacted wrong to male pornography, then they would get um, electric shocks. But if it was male-female pornography, heterosexual pornography, they would not be uh, shocked with electricity. Well, of course, all that does is make them crazy, as it turns out. And, and this uh, happened at BYU in the 70s? Yeah, it was uh, actually uh, a campus part of uh, research, you know, psychology yeah. research. There was a, another student I had who he, um, uh, they gave him um, drugs so that, uh, you know, they would show him, um, again, uh, homosexual pornography and then give him um, some sort of a drug that make him throw up, make him really, really sick. And uh, thinking that uh, that way over time, he would realize that um, that he would associate, make an association with uh, homosexual feelings and being physically ill. Um, so they tried a lot of things um, thinking that uh, that they could change orientations of people, and um, I 
I didn't didn't see it uh, changing anybody, but I, I have certainly met a lot of damaged people who came out of that era, and and they do not do that anymore. I understand and haven't for a number of years. Thank goodness. So Buckley, let's let's shift gears a bit. Tell us about uh, once you reached the point where you knew you had to tell this to your wife. What what was that experience like? both in running up to it, what you were feeling and, you know, how did you tell her and, and what was the, the reaction and, and, and that whole aftermath? How, how did that go? Well, it was uh, certainly up to that point, the, uh, the hardest thing I had ever done, the most difficult decision. And I kept remembering the sayings that the hard things are the right things. And, uh, so uh, eventually I I did have to sit her down and say, you know, this is really difficult for me, but uh, this is this is the situation. And, uh, and I told her that I was gay and uh, that I hoped that that wouldn't change anything. I, th- I hoped that by getting that out there that we could deal with it together and we would be able to keep our family... Um, keep our family together. We had never fought, argued, screamed at each other, called names, never did any of that, and we'd been married over 25 years by then. So uh, there was no, I mean, we weren't about to start hating each other by any means. Uh, So it was was really a very difficult time. Uh, My daughter was a teenager, and and we talked with her the same day. And her her concern was that uh, that we were going to get divorced and we assured her that that was not our intention that we were going to try uh really hard to uh to make it work and we uh how old, was your, gra- how old was your daughter at the time she was uh let's see about 14 15 14, right in high yeah. school huh yeah yeah and so we um we talked about you know what this would mean uh, and how we would uh, try to negotiate what uh, what it would mean. I and I said I have to be able to be open and be able to talk about it at home, not be uh, you know not suffer that shame that goes along with it, because uh, I felt like that was what was really making me ill uh, mentally and uh, and making me grouchy and and all the things that I never wanted to be and it just weren't me. And so we um, we went on like that, and uh, and tried very hard for a, a long time uh, to uh, to keep things at that level. And it just um, over time um, we realized that we cared enough about each other that we just had to let go. And I. I felt like she needed somebody who could really care for her and love her in the way that she deserved, uh, and without, you know, without any qualms, without any uh, any hesitation, without any qualifications, uh, and she she deserved that, and I deserved it, and she felt like I deserved it. So, together we planned. Uh, um, our separation and when it would be um, many months in advance and 
made arrangements and uh, did all of that uh, very amicably. And and what was the length of time between you telling your wife and your daughter and you making the decision to uh, separate? Uh, it was nearly a year. So you tried it for yeah. a year. Yeah. Yeah, and we um, we were able to to do it um, and, and not dislike each other, uh, be able to stay close, and it was difficult for my daughter uh, because everybody knew we had the perfect family and uh, admired us greatly, and so um, we knew it would be difficult and it would be a shock for people. Uh, let, let me let me throw in, let me throw in a bit of a hard question here, just trying to think about what a listener might be thinking and 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 maybe give them a bit of a voice. Uh, I can I can think of some pragmatic but but loyal LDS folk who are thinking, okay, fine, uh, you know you you knew you were gay, and um, you know you you had to tell your wife and your daughter knew, and you know life wasn't uh, what you wanted it to be. But at the same time, we all have our crosses to bear. And we all have, you know, some of us are overweight. Some of us, you know, have depression. Some of us uh, have illnesses. Um, you know, whatever. That's your cross to bear. Why not stick it out with your wife? Why not keep your family together? And, um, you know, consider this your cross to bear to help you earn your rights, you know, to the pearly gates on the other side. What help us help us understand why why for you that that uh, wasn't an option. Well, actually, it was the option. It was the option for twenty five years, and uh, I was convinced that that, uh, that 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 was the way to to do it. I was convinced that uh, there was something wrong with me and then when I finally came to a place of peace in my own life uh, then it became that it became okay this is uh, you know this is my cross this is what I have this is the thorn and you know my thorn on my side as Paul talked about and so um, that that really was what uh, what I did for many years um, and I guess the realization that uh, uh, times changed by then, and we both realized that it was possible to uh, to have a healthy relationship. I realized it'd be possible to have a healthy relationship with another man. Um, we knew uh, other gay people, and they seemed perfectly fine and and happy and. Um, and I kind of um, envied that, and uh, realized that I would never have that, and and eventually I, I wasn't able to accept never having that kind of happiness. I I I felt uh, in my prayers and all that uh, God wanted me to have happiness, and that I could um, I could do a lot more. I could do more service. I could be uh, a better emissary of his church if I were more honest with myself. And so that was the path that I I, I chose. I, I say chose now, although at the time it didn't seem like much of a choice. It was more a choice of survival, uh, you know, mental survival, emotional survival uh, at the time. 
and uh, it seemed like much less of a choice. Mm. The depth of your dreams, the height of your wishes.